My name is Tim Harrima. I'm part of the teaching team here. And how many people in this room are 25 years old or younger? Okay, of you, how many people know what this is? <laughs> this is a good old-fashioned road map. This is what uh, your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents used to use when we went places before the days of GPS and iPhones and all the apps that we use now to tell us where to go. Uh, and we actually, in seventh grade social studies, in Mr. Subert's class, we actually were taught the proper way to fold a map. Because if you don't fold the map well, it doesn't work for very long because it gets all ripped up and, and tangled up. But, so why does a South Central Iowa boy have a road map of Minnesota? Well, I want to share with you a little story. Five years ago, in February of 2014, my wife and my son and I were going to head to the Twin Cities uh, because my son was going to be enrolling in the fall at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. And he was going to major in music ministry. He's a guitar player. And they give scholarships there, uh, but you have to audition for the scholarship. So we had scheduled an audition. We were trying to remember it was like the 8th or 9th of February. It was whatever that Saturday in February was. We had this audition scheduled, and it was the last day that we could have this audition scheduled. And for those of you who have sent children to college, you know how important those scholarship dollars are. So we made a plan. We were going to head to Minneapolis Friday afternoon, spend the night. Brady's uh, audition was going to be on Saturday morning. We're going to have lunch, head home, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But we had a purpose, we had a destination, and we knew what we wanted to get done. Well, as things happen in Iowa in February, a snowstorm was on the, on the horizon, and it was going to hit on Thursday afternoon. So we actually contemplated whether we wanted to leave earlier on Thursday and try to beat the storm, and, and by the time we kind of got to that point, the storm was already in action, and we decided we did not want to go through it. So we said, no problem, we'll take off on Friday morning and head to Minneapolis, it'll be fine. So we take off, we head past Des Moines, we're going up 35, we're going past Ames, and absolutely beautiful winter day, if there is such a thing. But the sun was shining, the roads were clear, and we're thinking, no problem. Well, about a half an hour later, somewhere north of the Jewel exit, the road changed to this white, icy, rutted, compact mess. And what was a 70, 75, 80-mile-an-hour trip at that point became about a 20-mile-an-hour uh, trip. And the roads were treacherous. And the sun was out, so it was getting kind of wet on top of that. And cars were going slow. There were cars in the ditch everywhere. There were trucks in the ditch. Every time we went by a rest stop, they were full of people who had gotten off the road. And we thought, well, should we keep going? But we had to get this done. We were bound and determined. We were going to put our life on the line. We were going to get this done. Um, at one point, we were driving, and Kelly said, we need to get off this road. So recalculating, recalculating, we got off and started to take 
side roads along I-35. And I've driven enough in the country to know that if you're at least going in the right direction, you're going to get where you need to go. So I was pretty comfortable driving along in our Ford Edge that as long as we were heading north, we'd eventually get to Minnesota, <laughs> right? And eventually get to the Twin Cities. And I'm, I'm kind of having fun now. First of all, driving on gravel roads in that kind of weather generally has a little bit of traction than an icy highway. So I'm busting through drifts and I'm having fun. And somewhere along the line, we busted through a drift that was almost as high as the car. My, Kelly was going crazy. Brady was in the backseat on his phone, totally ambivalent. But Kelly made the executive decision, we're getting back on I-35. So we did. So here we are, back on I-35, back at 20 miles an hour. And as you have probably experienced, sometimes cars that are going too slow can be as big of a problem in this situation as cars that are going too fast. We're cruising along, and I'm pulling into the left-hand passing lane because a truck in front of us isn't going very fast, and I'm, I'm going to pass a truck, and right when we get up to the truck, we see his left-hand blinker turn on. He needs to turn out to, to come over. And I, I'm not going to slam on my brakes this time because I don't know what's going to happen. So I do my best to speed up. And I see in front of this truck this little car that looks like it's parked on the road, probably going five miles an hour, and this truck is going to run into this car. So I speed up as fast as I can, and by the time we go past this car, it looks like we're going 90 miles an hour, probably going 30. And I look in my rearview mirror, and all I see is the trailer of the truck starting to go like this. And the, the truck, the last thing I see of this truck is the entire trailer is across the road going north behind us. And when Kelly sees that, uh, we made the decision to get off I-35 again. <laughs> So we go back to the roads and we're going, and, and, but now we're getting closer to Minnesota and I don't know how we're going to get into the Twin Cities if we're not on I-35. So I stop into a little gas station and we get some coffee and whatever and they had a map, so I buy a map. And we use this map to plot our route and we, we ended up on the west side of 35, the east side of 35, and finally made it nine and a half hours after we left in Minneapolis. A trip that normally takes me about four and a half hours. So, why am I telling you this? Well, we are in the midst of our series on Acts, and we're going to talk about Acts 20 today, which, take, which it covers part of Paul's third missional uh, journey. And we are, uh, it, th this year, this, this, the uh, series that we're doing here in the auditorium and in the sanctuary are focused on a portion of our mission statement here at Third, which is sending out servant-hearted disciples with a passion for Christ into the world. And we're focused on that sending part of that mission statement. And Paul's journey can provide to us a little bit of some, a blueprint, if you will, on what could lead us on and help us along our journey. Um, Paul had a mission. He had a passionate mission. It's been referenced all the way back into Acts 1, uh, chapter 8, which is to be a witness for Christ throughout the world. 
And, 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 and Paul was passionate about this. And Paul had a plan. He had a plan of how he wanted to accomplish this. Now, we as Christians sometimes say amongst ourselves that planning is really not the thing we should be doing, right? If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You, you've probably heard that before. But the Bible is full of all kinds of examples of good planners. Noah was a planner. David was a planner. Solomon was a planner. Jesus' parables talked about the virtues and wisdom of planning going forward. So it's not the planning that is the problem. It's the planning without the participation and the counsel of our Heavenly Father that is the problem. So Paul, through his life and through this mission in particular, provides us a great plan or a map for us to follow as we embark or continue on on our journey. So we're going to focus on Acts 20, which is, starts in the, in the Pew Bibles at page 1100, if you have one. Can I get the map up here, please? Thank you. I don't know, this, these words, i got a little pointer here. I don't know how well this is going to work. But Acts 20 covers a really long period of time. When you read it, you don't really realize how much time it covers. But it starts off, there, that kind of works. It starts off, that's Ephesus right there. That's where we left off last week with all the hubbub that took place at the end of chapter 19. And Paul had a plan, and he was going to go to Jerusalem. But before he got there, he had some stuff he had to do. One of which is he wanted to visit some of the churches that he had previously been to, and he also wanted to take up a collection for the poor believers back in Jerusalem that kind of got this whole Christianity thing started. And so he, was, he left Ephesus and sailed up the Aegean Sea and around through Greece and into Macedonia and ended up spending time in Corinth. He spent about three months in Corinth. He spent the winter there. And it's, and it's widely held that when he was in Corinth, he wrote the book of Romans, his masterpiece, my, my favorite book in the Bible. And he had gone through and collected for the, the believers in Jerusalem. He'd met with these churches. He wintered in Corinth. And his intention was to then sail across the Mediterranean Sea to Syria and get to Jerusalem. That was his plan. Well, when he went to go leave Corinth, he had to recalculate because he, was, he learned that the Jews were going to kill him, which they'd been trying to do for some time now. And how easy would it be for a bunch of Jewish people who are taking their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover to just toss Paul over the side of the boat be done with the guy, right? So Paul decided to recalculate, and he ends up going back up through Macedonia and Greece and ends up in Troas, 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 and there he uh, raised someone from the dead. And if you read that portion of Acts, I would challenge you to kind of read it and, and, and look at how matter-of-factly they talk about him raising the dead. This guy falls out of a third floor window, dies, Paul raises him from the dead, and they go back upstairs and start finishing worship. 
I mean, it was almost like this is what the guy does. I mean, it's, what he, it's no big deal. But it, it was, at this point, I think Paul's message was becoming so important that that was really the miracle that was taking place right now. So they, after they leave there, they sail past Ephesus again and they go to Miletus where Paul calls the elders from the Ephesian church down to meet with him. And that's where our reading is going to take place. We are going to start at verse seven, uh, 17, which is on 1101. So please hear the word of God. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Only, no, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I only may, I, I, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is, better, it is more blessed to give than to receive. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, in case you didn't catch it, this is Paul's farewell talk to the elders of Ephesus, the people that he had spent two years with, they believed they were never going to see each other again. So I want you to think about someone really, really important to you. And you knew this was going to be the last conversation you were ever going to have with this person. What would you say? What would you want to convey? You probably want to let them know how much you care about them. If it's, if it's someone who you have been leading, probably going to want to give them some wisdom and advice and maybe pass the baton. This is what Paul was doing. 
And through his conversation here, Paul gives us his map. So the first point in Paul's message is you have, the way you live your life is one way you share the gospel. Paul walked the walk. He, he said that we were to be helpful in our actions and words, which Paul was continuously. He said that we were to be consistent in public and in private. Be the same person regardless of who you're with and where you are. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with a quote that says, preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. This is the first thing that Paul tells his friends and tells us that we need to do. And above all, Paul spoke truth and lived truth. He said that the key is repentance and faith in Jesus. Repentance means we change our ways, we change our behavior, we act different. And faith means that we accept forgiveness for the bad mistakes we've made, the bad decisions we've made, the things that have gone not our way. And we accept that because of Jesus' death and his continuous life, that stuff is gone. And we have a relationship with him. Paul loved Jesus so much, he would have done anything for Jesus. It was the most important thing in his life. And if you think about Paul's history, you start to kind of understand why. This was a guy in his earlier life when he was Saul, used to hunt down to, to uh, authorize the imprisonment and even execution of Christians. And now, his whole life was devoted to telling people about Jesus, to showing them about Jesus. I mean, if there's a guy that needed to repent and needed to accept forgiveness, it was, it was Paul. And it's because of the gift that he received, he, he, he just, he, there's nothing more important in his life than Jesus. It was more important than anything. So do you have someone in your life that you care about more than yourself? Someone that you love more than yourself that you would do anything for? Mr. Hopkins, I think so. So think of that relationship. How does that relationship differ from your relationship with Jesus? And why? It's easier to walk the walk when your heart is where it should be. Paul's map also talks to us about how we should tend to others. This is a big, big point in his words, his final word to his friends. He was equipping these guys to take the baton from him. He wasn't going to be around anymore. And these were the people that were going to carry things forward. And he said, first we've got to look at ourselves. The first thing we need to do is to look at ourselves. Keep watch over ourselves. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes what the qualifications of an elder are. And anybody who served as an elder in this church 
is asked to sign a covenant, reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, and agreeing and promising to abide by those things. And they are things like being level-headed, not being hot-headed, being loyal to your spouse, not being a lover of money, being upright. This is a laundry list, and it's a big one. And I'm, I'm, I know when I served as an elder, um, and I'm, I'm assuming that happened to a lot of people, you become convicted when you read these things and you, and you sign your name on the dotted line and say you're going to do that. But we've got to look within. He talks about us being shepherds. Now, these were, these were elders, but he's talking to all believers here. When we receive the gift of God's grace, we, we assume a certain amount of responsibility, and we become shepherds. So what do shepherds do? They tend to the flock. They protect. They, they feed. They water. They nurture. If one of them wanders away, we go find them, and we bring them back. And, and, and Paul's parting words were, be generous. Be generous. It is more blessed to give than receive. What kind of world would we live in if everybody lived by that? Wouldn't it be awesome? I mean, it's hard enough to be giving within our own household sometimes. But to do it everywhere... So Paul provides us this map. And I've got a question for you. Is there anybody here that doubts whether Paul was legit? I mean, if you have any doubt whether Paul was really seeking to serve others and to spread the news and, and, and was selfless, just, just ask yourself, what was he gaining when he was Saul and he was persecuting Christians, he was a man of authority, a man of power. People did what he told them to do. He was a Pharisee. He was well-educated. He was living a good life. He had it good. He was comfortable. And he was, he was doing what he loved to do at the time. And now, everything he owns, he can carry with him. Everywhere he goes, he gets laughed at, he gets spit on, he gets beaten, he gets thrown into prison, and he hops back up on his feet and keeps going. I leave it up to you, but I don't see how anybody can be more legit than that. So let's talk about our journeys real quick here. We're all on a journey, all of us. It doesn't matter where you are in your faith walk. It doesn't matter how old you are. We're all on a journey. We're all going somewhere. So what do you, when you hear the term or the phrase being sent, how does that make you feel? Because if you're like me, first time I ever thought about being sent somewhere, it kind of made me a little bit uh, anxious. I wasn't really that interested in being sent someplace. I mean, we have our own routines. We have our own 
group of friends, we got our own uh, comfort, we got the things that we need to do, we got work, we got kids, we got obligations. I, I don't need to be bothered with being sent somewhere. We have our own inadequacies. I mean, I've, I've shared with you all many times, the biggest issue I have with getting up here and being part of this teaching team is, who am I to teach you guys about Christ? So we all get that. But, you, but don't think of it as stepping out on your, and being sent, having to be some great big thing like a mission through the, the biblical areas that, that uh, Paul went, the Holy Land. It may be life-changing. It probably, in some respects, will be. But don't think of it as, as, as that. Every journey starts with one step. Hello? Don't also think that a journey is something that you have to be pushed to. Because most often, as you develop your relationship with Jesus... Being sent is going to come from within. How many of you felt a nudge or feel a nudge to get involved with something or to do something? I should go talk to that person. That's being sent. That's being sent. Walking across the street to welcome a new neighbor is being sent. We use mission trips around here as, a, as an example of, of what people can kind of visually think about being sent. And mission trips are, are, are one way that you can be sent. It's not the only way. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. But I use it as an example because I've, I've, I've gone on them and I've experienced what other people have benefited and learned on these things. And there's a funny thing about mission trips. When we first think about going on a mission trip, the first thing, you, first thing I thought about is all the reasons not to go. Work, money, generally when you go on a mission trip, you pay for it. So if you go on a mission trip, you're going to do that instead of something else. Time, I mean, I don't really want to go all that way to do that. I don't, I don't really want to hang out with these people that I don't know. That's not going to be fun. There's a lot of reasons not to go on a mission trip. But how many people do you know that have only gone on one mission trip? Isn't it interesting how... Once you break that barrier down and you take that step, you want more. It becomes something that is transforming in your own life. That's what happens when you take that first step. And I just want to restate something here, guys. Um, going up, being sent doesn't mean that you have to be able to recite every verse in the Bible. I certainly can't. It doesn't mean you have to be seminary trained. If you know Jesus, you're on your way. How hard is it to talk to people about Jesus? It's really hard. A couple weeks ago, we had the tables over here and we got into groups and we, we kind of shared some thoughts. And, and I, I, I kind of enjoy observing the room when those things happen because I know some people love those types of things and some people don't. 
It's uncomfortable. But, but, but when you observe someone who, when they sit down at the table, is kind of quiet and reserved, and before that conversation is over, has actually somehow been engaged in it, it's pretty cool. And that person's taken a step, whether they know it or not. And remember this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So I'm going to call the worship team back up here and wrap this up. But I want to talk about what, we're, what I'd like to see you guys do or at least think about this coming week. Think about things that you can do that maybe you've kind of thought maybe you ought to do or you've wondered what it would be like if you did do and just take that first step. Remember the map that Paul laid out to us and start by just living your life and being an example to people by how you live. Go across the street and say hello to a neighbor that you haven't met before. Invite somebody to lunch or to church. Donate to a charity or a cause that you've been kind of thinking you ought to maybe, maybe get to know a little bit more about. All of these things are part of the journey and part of the first step. And don't worry about what people are going to say or think. Just take that first step. Because that's really what it's all about. Be a witness by your life, being in community, and because you appreciate what Jesus did for you. Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your son and his, his mission. I thank you for Paul, who, who provides for us such an incredible example. Someone who was willing to face death and considered his life worthless in comparison to the mission that you had laid before him. I thank you for that example. And I ask you to let this impact us in a way that we move that we take a step this week, Lord, that we just go and just have confidence in our relationship with you. Lord, we just thank you for your son Jesus and how he's, he died for our sins and continues to live in us and, and, and work with us as we go down our journey. Father, it is in Jesus' name that we pray.